Can we read them together? What wondrous love is this? Oh my soul, oh my soul. What wondrous love is this? Oh my soul. What wondrous love is this? It caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul, for my soul. To bear the dreadful curse for my soul. When I was sinking down, sinking down, sinking down. When I was sinking down, sinking down, sinking down, beneath God's righteous frown, Christ laid aside his crown for my soul, for my soul. Christ laid aside his crown for my soul. To God and to the Lamb, I will sing. I will sing. To God and to the Lamb, I will sing. To God and to the Lamb, I will, who is the great I am, while millions join the theme, I will sing, I will sing. While millions join the theme, I will sing. I would like to just... Mo- oh, I'm sorry, I thought that was it. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing on, I'll sing on. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing on. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing and joyful be. And through eternity, I'll sing on, I'll sing on. And through eternity, I'll sing on. Can we pray together? Oh, Lord God, this song just kind of encapsulates the story that the gospel gives to us. We're so grateful today for each part of it. We worship you. We lay aside everything else. We lay aside all of the aspirations of our humanity and all of the um, fears and worries of our humanness to just simply thank you for this wondrous gift, this supernatural gift that came to us across the chasm from the other side, from the other world, from the other dimension. When Christ came here incarnate and did this for us, what wondrous love is this? We... um, want to lift up to you the, the worries, the fears, the, the sadness and the grief and the hurt and the sorrows that we carry with us, Lord. There are many. And we also lift up to you the sicknesses and the injuries that we bear. They are many. <clears throat> the diseases that come our way and the, the things that mar our families and our friends and our co-workers. We also lift up to you, Heavenly Father, the the risks that we take, the travels. I think of the uh, the young people who are in Frederick this morning, and the, the the places that we go, and the places that we, the things that we have planned to do, that involve risk. And just pray for your protection on each one, and that you will protect these who are those who are locked into conflict in ways that do not seem to have any human solution. We think of so many places in our world where war is tearing apart the fabric of everything that these people have and, and know. And we, we just we ask, Lord, that somehow the Prince of Peace can um, come among us and give us a better way and help us to um, solve the quarrels that we have. 
bless this time that we can gather around your word, that we can um, let down all of our defenses, that we can let down all of our preconceptions, that we can listen, that we can hear. And from these words and these stories and these people of so long ago, extract something that you have placed in there for our value because you've told us very plainly that all of it is inspired. It was all encouraged by you to be written down and it is profitable for us for doctrine and for reproof and for correction, for training and righteousness that we can, we can walk in the worthy life, walk in the worthy way of the way of heaven. <clears throat> So we thank you for the privilege and pray you'll help us to understand it and apply it in Jesus, in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen. We have a, a group of youth and some helpers and leaders who are this morning at a church in Frederick, Maryland, where they will be, uh, where they are um, sharing of their Mexico trip this summer. Tonight, that group will be here along with some others who have uh, participated in other trips, other missions trips over the last number of months um, throughout this year. And they're going to be here at 6.30. And we're just going to do a service that's going to be very casual and laid back. But we're just going to get to hear about their trips. And I invite you and encourage you to come if you can do that and participate this, that, this evening at 6.30. And then I also want to mention another thing. It's in your bulletin, but I want to call your attention. Two weeks from tonight which is the 12th of November, we do a harvest home and we'll have tables up here and we bring um, canned goods and non-perishable items and, and these will then be given to local families. But um, it's a fun evening, it's just a joyful time to really contemplate the blessings that we have. I mean, we know we're blessed, all of us are blessed, I'm blessed, you're blessed. But sometimes it's just great to talk about it, try to probe into the details a little bit of of what it is, that how it is that God has blessed us. And so we're going to do that that night. And also, at the close of the time when we have some our time to eat pies, um, I want to have a short service of dedication for this new kitchen in addition to our gym and so forth. So that will also be included in that night. And um, invite you to come the 12th of November, 630, and uh, you'll get some homemade pie. If you haven't signed up to bring some and you want to, please check that out. Okay, uh, this is the last question of what somebody asked me, and I don't know how I managed to do this. I had it with me. I am the world's easiest soul to lose something. I, I had that question with me, but here's what it said. I know what it said. It said, David, I would really like to hear your perspective on the story of Deborah and jail, this is in Judges chapter 4, and it said also, I really would just like to hear your, what you have to say about God's plan and God's power as it shines through or as it's expressed in that story. So I want to give you some perspectives on this story, and um, you'll, have, you'll have many others as you hear it and read it. Um, I'm going to go probably a number of different directions in the time that we have and touch several different issues or several different stories. 
uh, are several different perspectives. But the first one, I mean, to start with, we'll just read this story in Judges chapter 4. You know, after Moses died, Joshua became leader of the children of Israel. They had now moved into the land of Palestine from being slaves in Egypt. They were their own people. This is the same place today where the fighting is. East of the Mediterranean Sea, this small strip of land between the Dead Sea at the bottom and the Sea of Galilee at the top, there's this little narrow strip, and it's a crossroads. It's a, it's a highway that Asia and Europe and, and Africa kind of all X out together in. And it's been a place of contention always and forever. And here, no less in the time of the judges, uh, they were fighting over the land that was called today Palestine. The land given that name actually by the Philistine people. The word Palestine comes from Philistine. And, uh, and so there, there's been so many people has claimed this little strip of land. After uh, Israel had taken it over from many of the Canaanite people who lived there, because originally it was called Canaan, um, after that period of time, Joshua died, and things just went into chaos. And the stories in the book of Judges are the story of, of a culture that's been plunged into confusion, sometimes even civil war. Some of the Israeli tribes fought against other Israelite tribes, and uh, it's not a pretty picture. And over and over, we're told that the Israelites sinned, they worshipped idols, and God couldn't stand it. Because he had brought them through so much and he had such an intimate relationship with them through Moses and through Joshua. And so the Lord would send, uh, send an adversary. He would raise up an adversary against them. And they would, have, they would suffer politically and militarily. And then they would pray and say, Lord... We need your help. We need to be delivered from these oppressors. And then God would raise up uh, a word that sometimes is translated judge. Sometimes it's translated leader. Um, it's a very versatile word. It can mean a lot of things. But it's generally translated as judge. And it, this is the period of these judges that God raised up different ones for a different period of time. I want to read in chapter 4, um, part of the chapter at least, and this is an amazing story about a woman who was one of these leaders, one of these judges, and her name was Deborah. The word Deborah, by the way, means bee, like a, like a, like a honeybee or a yellow jacket, a, a bee, that's what it means in Hebrew. After Ehud died, the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Yabin, a king in Canaan. You don't need to worry about him. He drops out. Don't worry about him. He reigned in Hatzor. Hatzor was a city up in the northern part of the country near the Sea of Galilee. Um, the commander of his army was Sisera. That is a name we want to remember because that's the story. He lived in Harshath Hagayim, you don't need to remember that. Because he had 900 iron chariots and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried out to the Lord for help. Deborah, this is one we want to remember. A prophetess, the wife of Lapidot, you don't need to remember him. 
She was leading Israel at that time. She was holding court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came to her to have their disputes decided. And she sent for Barak. Now, this is another dude to remember. Uh, he's the, he's the part of the story as well. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam. That doesn't matter. From Kadesh, that doesn't matter. The Lord said... The Lord, the God of Israel, I'm sorry, Deborah said to Barak, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go and take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun. These are two of the tribes of Israel. In other words, Barak, go and raise an army. You're from the tribe of Naphtali. You're familiar with the territory up there in the northeast where they live. Go up there and recruit an army. 10,000 men. This is Deborah speaking to Barak. Recruit an army and lead the way to Mount Tabor. I, the Lord, will lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. So you have this woman, the leader of the people at that time, coming to a particular man, an individual named Barak, and saying, Barak, uh, people have been praying that God would deliver us from this insidious enemy who has these chariots of iron and who's, who has been um, destroying crops and all sorts of things. And God has signaled me that the time has come. And so I'm here to say to you, you're the man to lead this uh, moment. I want you to recruit an army, 10,000 men. You go up to the north and the and northwest area of Palestine to Mount Tabor, and God is going to somehow bring the, king, bring the army of, the, um, of Sisera, he's going to bring them to where you are and you will be able to destroy them. And this is God's answer, this is a solution, go raise an army. And uh, we're going to have us a big battle and the back will be broken of this enemy. Barak said, verse 6, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Well, that sounds like just the guy you want, doesn't it? Very well, Deborah said, verse 9, I, or verse, yeah, verse 9, I will go with you, but because of the way you're going about this, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. And Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh, this was the territory, where he summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, these were the people from which he drew the armies. 10,000 men followed him, and Deborah also went with him. Let me skip verse 11, I'll come back. When they, when they told Sisera, now this is the commander of the northern army, the, the, the Canaanite army, when they told Sisera that Barak had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera gathered together his 900 iron chariots and all the men with him, and he basically, he went to attack him. He went after him uh, just as the Lord had predicted that would happen. Verse 14, Deborah said to Barak, this is her commander, go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Sisera, if you can imagine, 10,000 men charging down the side of the mountain. They're up there concealed in the brush. And the army of chariots and the army of the Canaanites had been lured into this position. 
and now suddenly it's a counter charge, it's an ambush, and here they come down the mountain. And it's a slaughter. It says, uh, it, it says that at Beric's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword, and Sisera abandoned his chariot and then fled on foot. But Beric pursued the chariots and army all the way to Harosheth Hagoim. All of the troops of Sisera fell by the sword, not a man was left. So this was, this was really an, an annihilation, it was a slaughter. It was just as Deborah had predicted that it would be. Sisera, however, fled on foot. So you have at least this one guy, the commander, and maybe there were a few other stragglers. But at least he got away from the action that day. And he is being, uh, he is being pursued now by Barak, the commander of the Israelite army. Um, I, I, I want to just stop there. I'm going to come back to the rest of it and as we have time here. But I, I want to make a couple of points. First of all, this was just a period of time in which, if you read back through the first couple of chapters, it was this pattern of idol worship and then adversaries that God himself would raise up. And I, I just wanted to stop and mention something. When you make God angry, if you're going to aggravate God, if you're going to skate on thin ice and live on the edge all the time and you're just going to taunt him or you're going to just sin over and over until God needs to do something to get your attention, I, I can tell you from this introduction of the book of Judges in the beginning, that he has no shortage of possibilities of ways he can bring your life to heal if he wants to do that. And I just wanted you to notice something. Here during the first parts of the book of Judges, the different judges, this is simply an observation is all. The, the, the word in the parentheses is the name of the judge. The name of the people that are there are mentioned are the adversaries. And I just put in highlight the direction that these people lived in regards to the Israelite people. In other words, God brought in enemies from all different directions at different times. God had no shortage of things that he could go to to say, you know, if you want to sin against me and I need to punish you or I need to um, correct you, I can bring in anybody I want to. I have no shortage of resources to... Um, to cause you to stop sin and to, to bring you into line. And all these people, these different judges in the first part of the book, um, are really from all around the nation of Israel. You know, today it would be Gaza on the, on the west. It would be um, West Bank on the east. It would be Lebanon. I mean, all these, it, 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 all these different people from all the areas around them were involved at one time or other in God's chastening of those people. I think that's interesting, and it just helps us to realize that God can produce help or hurt. God can lay the big hurt on you. God can lay the big help on you from anywhere he chooses at any time he chooses. And if you, um, if you are on the side of God's anger or God's wrath, there's nobody can protect you. There's, there's no amount of money that you can buy insurance with against God. It's just, it's just who we're dealing with here. God is the ruler of the universe. He's the creator of the earth. He's the designer and the, of the plan of the human race. 
And so if we're on the side of his displeasure, there's, no, there's no, nothing that can pr- protect us. The solution, of course, is that we disobey him. And we don't need to worry about buying insurance if, if we live in a way to please him. This is true of our career, um, our money, our health, our relationships. There is no security apart from God. That's what I'm trying to say. We, you, we can try to find security in many different ways. It says in Psalm 16, apart from you, I have nothing good. This is just the reality. There's nothing good for us to depend on unless it comes from God. There's no security in this life apart from God. And if we aggravate him or we get on the wrong side or he, he decides that uh, he don't want to destroy us, but he has to bring us in line, there's no end to the resources that God has available. He can bring in anybody from any direction to um, lay us low. He can take our health from us like that. Just so quickly. So I don't want to, I want to stay here just to remind us. Uh, that only God truly, truly, actually gives security in life. Now, um, let's go to Barry for a second. You know, Deborah was the leader of the people, it says, at that time, and she was um, involved in especially a lot of judicial functions where people would bring to her their cases of dispute, and she would help them to figure out who, who needed to pay somebody what and who needed to be punished and so forth. Um, wonderful, wonderful woman, Deborah. Um, and yet, in this moment where there was an army to be raised and a battle to be fought, the Lord, uh, the Lord directed Deborah to go find someone, and it was this man named Barak, to be the leader of the army, to be uh, th- to be the general. Now this is a this is a, always a this is always a topic that's hard for me to get into because I love you ladies uh, uh, completely, and yet there are many places in Scripture that seem to define the role of the men and the women differently, not value, not worth, but role and function, and and starting in the very early aftermath of the first sin in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, when the Lord said to Eve, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you, there's been a pattern, there's been a a plan that God has put into place that the role of men uh, ultimately is that of the authority or the leadership and the role of women is that of supporting and following and, and nurturing and many other things, that this is simply the plan and, and this is how God is set it up to be. I always feel this is difficult for me to talk about because I happen to be a man and therefore uh, it could sound like I'm just trying to toot my own horn or somehow I'm trying to uh, just preserve my own position or something like that. I can assure you nothing is farther from the truth. There's no one that appreciates or values the contribution and the intelligence and, the, uh, and the, the integrity and the skill of women any more than I do. But these are simply the teachings that the Bible gives to us. Um, I don't know why Deborah was the leader at that time. I mean, Deborah uh, is pointed to by those who disagree and say, no, the Bible doesn't teach that men are to be the leader in leadership positions. 
Um, Deborah is one example of that. And Deborah, indeed, it does say, was leading Israel at that time. I point out here that, um, that uh, we are told in the earlier part of Judges in several places that God raised up the Othniel or God raised up this person or that person. We're never told God raised up Deborah. We're just told that Deborah was in charge at that time. And I personally conclude from that that Deborah was in charge because nobody else would be in charge. And so therefore, by default, Deborah, in the willingness of her heart and uh, the, the joy of her own spirit, just was willing to say, well, if nobody who should be in charge will work or will, will lead, I'll, I will do. I will because somebody has to lead. There always has to be any organization, whether it's an organization of two, such as a marriage between husband and wife, whether it's a large corporation, there always has to be a leader. There has to be somebody, as Harry Truman so famously said, where the buck stops. The buck stops here. There has to be someone. And the scripture teaches in many different passages that this is the role that God has assigned to men. Or to, yes, to men. Um, and, and so... Um, I want to just say this to you ladies in regard to that. If the men in your life do not follow, if, if the men or the man in your life does not follow God's will, don't just give up and say, well, you know, they're in charge, so I just have to go along with what they say. Debbie or Deborah was frustrated by Barak, no doubt. When she went to him and she said, God has chosen you, and he says, well, I'm only going to do it if you'll be right here by my side. I only do it. If he wouldn't take the reins of leadership as it was as it was given to him, and um, I'm sure she was frustrated by that, but she did not allow Barak to pull her sideways into disobeying God's plan. Deborah went along with Barak, and she said, "Okay, I will provide leadership. I will accommodate you since you are not willing to step up and lead." She did not shrink from the battle because the battle had to be fought. So my point is Deborah had a willing heart and she had a, a righteous burden for the good of her people, for the good of her nation. But she should never have had to been in that position. Barak was informed that God had called him. That's what she went to him and said. God has called you. And he was instructed about what he, he needed to do. But he said, well, I'll do it, but only with your help. And then Deborah made this famous statement. Okay, then, so if you do that, the glory will go to a woman. Um, I, I want to say this. To me personally, I don't care who the glory goes to. This, this is meant to be, to um, Barak, a statement of shamefulness. Well, if, if, if this is how it has to be done, you just need to know the glory will go to a woman. The honor will go to a woman. I'm saying to you, my perspective on this is I don't care. doesn't matter to me who gets the honor or the glory um, or, the, or the credit. Um, all glory goes to God anyway for any achievement or any victory or any blessing. Whether the hands that perform God's task belong to a man or woman is of no great importance. You know, it says in Galatians chapter 3, In Christ there is neither male or female or slave, or free, or any of the other distinctions that we sometimes draw between people. Um, the victory or the credit going to a woman, Deborah was saying to this guy, Barak, 
It wasn't what it sounds like on the surface. What she was saying to him was, Barry, you are disobeying God. That's what she was pointing out to him. That he was not following um, the, the, the calling. It tells us in the New Testament that Barak was a man of great faith. And we know he went down there and he fought that battle. And he overcame Sisera and the, um, he, the army there. But he, he, did ne- he never followed fully the path that God laid out for him. And so I, I just want to say a couple words quickly. I know my time is almost gone here. But this is simply, and I'm going sideways a bit. I'll come back to Deborah. This is simply the teaching of the Bible overall. I'm not going to dwell in it on it. I, I gave you some, I put some verses here in, in your sermon notes. Um, what the Bible teaches is not that uh, women cannot have authority or not that women cannot be in leadership positions. We have women in leadership positions here in this church. And, and they, you serve, those of you who serve, so wonderfully. And you have very incredible uh, talents in leadership and ideas and everything else. But the teaching of the Bible is that in the plan of God, in, in the flow of authority from him to our world, it comes through the man, through the men, and the guidance and the authority and the responsibility of that then rests upon the shoulders of the men. This is simply the plan that God has. It's not an issue of value. It's an issue of role and responsibility. And this is something that we cannot change. I believe, I believe this with all my heart, that many times when guys don't want to stand up or step up and lead, whether it's in uh, you know, an organization like the church or whether it's just in their own marriage, I believe that often they feel that they're not capable. And I just want to remind those of you who are men here today, Barak didn't think that he would be capable of handling this whole situation. And he said to his sister, Deborah, I'll do it, but you got to only if, you know, you're, you're calling the shots. And, you know, it's amazing to me. Up there on the mountain, it was Deborah who was saying, go, go. This is the time. Barak, take them in and go. I mean, she was directing the battle because Barak asked her to do that. But God has, I want to say this to you men, God has given you the gifts to be able to lead. There's no one style of leadership that's right or wrong. Everybody has, but don't say what Moses did. When God came to him and said, Moses, I have a task for you. You're the man. You are the moment. And I am, and, and Moses said, please, oh, please, listen, please, please get somebody else. Um, Barak said, okay, okay, I'll do it. But here's the condition under which I'll do it. And I'm saying to you, listen, if God lays a burden of leadership on you or comes to you with a task or an opportunity for leadership, don't dodge it. Don't refuse it. Don't put a condition on it and say, well, I'll go if you go with me, which is what Barak did. Just say, well, Lord, (laughs) you're going to have to go with me because I don't have a foggy clue, but I will do this. This is is what God uh, wants. And, And this is the part, this is where I come down to always bottom line. It doesn't matter whether you like or agree with my understanding or my interpretation of the Bible. 
I don't think it matters because I cannot delegate something God expects from, of me. I can delegate uh, jobs, tasks, and, and I can involve people to do many things, but in the end, the, the part that he expects of me, I cannot change. So if he expects me to be a leader, and this is the role, this is the, this is the, the place, this is part of my identity as a male, as a man, I can't, I can't change that because it's his expectation upon me. Even though I may do involve uh, many people or many ladies in that leadership, this is simply something that I cannot change because God expects it. So it seems to me that the challenge of leadership is not really God's calling, and it's not really my qualification. It is just simply whether I will obey. I mean, Barry could have done a very good job, but he just wasn't willing. And he said, well, I'll only, I'll only do it if. I'll only do it if this or that. You know, I often come to Jeremiah chapter 1, and sometimes or I often come there, and I'd shake my head because I think nobody had a better excuse than Jeremiah. The Lord said, Jeremiah, this is in the first chapter of his book, I'm calling you to be a prophet and a spokesman to the nations. And Jeremiah said, I'm just a child. I, I, can't, I can't do it, Lord, I'm too young. I'm not, you know, I'm not even of legal age. And the Lord said to Jeremiah, this is along about verse 4 or verse 5, I don't ever want to hear you talk to me like that again. This is not a matter of age. I have called you, and I will equip you, and I will protect you, and I will enable you, and it doesn't matter how old you are. That's what he said. Very strong response to Jeremiah. When Jeremiah said, I, I can't do it because I'm just not qualified. I'm just not old enough. And the Lord very strongly rebuked him. So this is something that we I'm trying to say, that the challenge of leadership is really obedience. Okay, very briefly to come back to this amazing part of the story. Uh, verse 11, Heber, the Kenite. Now, this is not one of the Israelite people. You need to understand, this is a weird interjunction. One of the Canaanite groups of people, or one of the, this is... I don't know, they just lived there, the Kenites. Heber was the man's name. Heber had left the other Kenites. It tells us they were actually descendants of Moses. And he had pitched his tent by the great tree in Zananim near Kadesh. This was a Bedouin family. So their landmark was the great tree near Zananim. That was just where they lived in that territory. One man and his family. Just an odd, weird fact it throws in here in this story. That out here in a no man's land, kind of between the area where the battle raged that day and where the rest of the Israelite people lived, uh, there was a, a one lone Bedouin family living in a tent, moving around, but mostly they kind of claimed the territory of this one tree that was a landmark there. Okay, the battle had taken place. The slaughter was underway. And it says, and I'm going to skip now to verse 17, Sisera, this was the general 
of the Canaanite army, the guy with 900 chariots who just got his army handed to him and he got royally whipped. He's running for his life. Sisera, 17, fled on foot to the tent of jail, the wife of Heber, because there were friendly relations between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the clan of Heber the Kenite. And jail went out to meet Sisera. Jail is a woman. It's, it's trying to set up a little something. Jail, jail is the wife of Heber. And it just says, amazingly, coincidentally, uh, out here in the middle of this scene, there is a, a family. It lives in a tent under a tree. And they had just unexplicably moved away from their clan. And they had settled out here by themselves. And they had become friends of these Canaanite people of Jabin and Sisera. And they had developed good relationships with them. And now Sisera is running for his life and he needs a place to hide. And he sees the tent of Haber and Jael. And he says, there's some friends. I know those people. I'm sure they would take me in. And you know this story, I'm sure, because this is unforgettable. It says, uh, verse 18, Jael went to meet Sisera. Jael is the wife. And said to him, come, my Lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. He entered her tent. She put a covering over him. Remember, he's running for his life. The Israelite army is pursuing him. And here he finds a friendly refuge and somebody who will hide him in their tent. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he said to her. If somebody comes by and asks you, is anybody here? Say, no. But jail... Heber's wife picked up a, yeah, a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted, and she drove the peg through his temple into the ground and he died. Barak. This is the guy who was asked to be in charge, but wouldn't quite be in charge. But he's, now he's trying to mop up on the battlefield, and here he comes. Because, you know, here's this one family living out here as an outpost. They're not, part of the, they're not behind the walls of the fort. And they're living way out here. And, and Barak comes by, and Jael comes out to meet him. So this is the second man who's come running, pounding up to her tent, panting and saying... Do you, you know, the first one said, can you hide me? The second one said, did anybody come by here looking for a place to hide? And Jael says, come, I will show you the man you're looking for. And when I read that, when I read that, I, I think of the words of Barak, or I think of the words of Deborah when she's out here looking for Barak, and she thinks Barak is the man she's looking for. But really, this was the man she was looking for. It was the enemy to be dead, the enemy to be destroyed. She thought, Deborah thought, that the solution was an earthly man who would deliver her. But in the end, she saw that there was a, a, a woman involved in this, amazingly, just like she said. You know, when Deborah said, I know, i got to quit. When Deborah said, Barak, if you don't go with me, if you don't take leadership, um, God's going to give us a victory, but the, but, but the credit will go to a woman. You think she's talking about herself, probably, because she's the leader of Israel. She wasn't talking about herself. She was talking about a woman that nobody had ever heard of. 
this lady named Jael. And it's such an amazing coincidence, it seems to me, such an amazing coincidence, in quotes, that this family had moved out from the walls of the fort, and they were living out here on the frontier, and they were mixing with the Canaanite people, and they had become friends with them, and therefore this trusting relationship had been built up ahead of time. This was all God's preparation for her deliverance, for their deliverance. That's what it was about. So I, I'm going to close by saying this. The question said, what does this story show us about the plan and the power of God? I wanted to say this. The power of God is unlimited. There is nothing that God cannot do. There is no resource he cannot tap. He can cause things to happen that you and I utterly unable to cause to happen. This is the power that God has. We, we could never have pulled off such an amazing sequence of events, but God did. And that's because he's able to see the future. I think that's why, unknown to them, Heber and Jael had moved and gotten away from their clan all, out, all by themselves. They had moved into an area where the Canaanite people lived and become friendly with them so that when a Canaanite general needed a place to hide, he would pick Jael's tent. And Jael would be able, Jael whose loyalty was actually to the Israelites, would be able to him. I, I, I would say this word isn't even right. I think God, I don't think we're even able to understand the present. We really can only understand the past. It's like I'm walking backwards through time and God can see what all's back here, but I can't see. It flows around me, and it's only till it goes into the past that I can really understand it. The present moment, I see things unfolding. I'm trying to grasp, but I, Jail probably had no idea what to do, what was happening when, when Sisera came knocking on her tent door and said, can I come in, can I come in? And then she reflected and was able to put it together how her enemy came and laid down in her, in her cot and went to sleep. What are the chances of that? This is surely God guiding her and telling her and explaining to her that it was her moment to do something significant for her people. Um, there's a man you're looking for, and we can take that so many ways, I know. But it's, um, it's, it's a symbol of, it's a description of the victory that God can give to our lives. I went way over time. I appreciate your patience. I'm going to just ask you if you would stand, please, and I will dismiss us in prayer. Heavenly Father, there are many times you call us to step up and step out, and we're uh, filled with fear and uncertainty. We confess today that this is sin against you. Um, even when we try to put conditions on what you call us to do, Forgive us so that we can find a better way forward and that we can simply be the leaders that you call us to be. As men, especially as fathers, as husbands, that we can not put conditions. We thank you for Deborah. I thank you for every Deborah and every jail and the many reincarnations of those even here this morning and these wonderful, wonderful women who step up and step out and, and, and put their heart in motion and their words into action many times in many ways. Bless us together 
because the man we're looking for is Satan with a tent with a tent peg driven through his head. That's the man we're looking for. We're looking for the enemy to be defeated so that righteousness can reign and rule forever and ever. There's a big battle going on, and we we just get snatches and pieces and and bits and parts. But Lord, enable us, inspire us to be like Deborah in jail and, and seize the moment that is given to us, whatever it may be. Thank you for the opportunity to hear and ponder. Thank you for the, the, the model of inspiration that these women have given to us. I thank you for the opportunity today just to be together and, and, and to say this is the day the Lord has made and this is the word that God has given to us. And I'm going to put it together in my heart and mind and in the deeds and events of this coming week. Bless us, we pray, and preserve us and pre that, we present, that you may be able to present us faultless before your throne in glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for coming today. All the days of my life.